Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. First episode broadcast from location. We are in the new venue here in Nashville called the Eighth Room, formerly the Douglas Corner Cafe, and now we are living in James Bond's living room. <laughs> and our guest this week... Mr. John Hollier, welcome Woo-hoo. to the show, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Man, thanks. welcome back. Yeah. Welcome back. So we had you on second. the show, that was, I think it was like April of 2020. Yeah. That sound about right? Like first wave. Of the- <laughs> first wave. <laughs> I forgot I forgot that that was even the terminology back then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, early rapture, man. Well, uh, I start every episode by asking, how did we meet? And I'll, I'll tell you I exactly. Sure yeah, yeah. Shit, I, I you know exactly where we met. I I had signed up on the uh, Facebook YEP page for a writers round. Was it affiliated with you? Mm-hmm. At least I didn't know that. At Young the time. entertainment professionals. Yeah, yeah. And they had a. Um, this was right when I stopped playing um, sideman pop country. So it was like I'm on on the hunt to get better as a, as a solo artist. So I found a little sign-up sheet for some random dates at a bar called um, 404 Bar and Grill mm-hmm. by the zoo. Uh, never been there, never heard nothing about it. But I, um, I, I emailed the girl, got on, went and played it, and just hated every second of it. Uh, <laughs> It was, it, it, I mean, you know the bar, you know I the bar, you know. all too well. It, it's it's one of those places where, like, Nashville has forced music on people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, it's a bar where people are just going there, they, you know, people playing cards in the corner, people drinking, watching sports games. And then you have songwriters in the corner playing. And you're yep. like, dude, literally no one wants to hear that. And I felt a little, like, jaded because I was like, man, I just left, a, you know, pretty you know, a gig that was doing really well mm-hmm. to do my own music. And this was the first taste of reality. Yep. And this it was is how like, hard it actually yeah, and I, is. I felt, but, but I, you know, I, I, I heard that voice in my head being like, you know what, try and find some kind of positive out of, out of this. And I stayed and had a drink. And by this point, the joint cleared and you were the last person there. Mm-hmm. And we had a couple of beers and talk. You said you, you actually curate those shows. Mm-hmm. This was the precursor to Natural Tour Stop. Right. And I, you know, it is great to meet you at this point. You had a little notebook with all your o- openings <laughs> and stuff. You scheduled another show out of it. And I, I left there thinking, man, this wasn't a complete wash. Met a cool guy who's who's kind of in doing what we're doing. You had the Dirt Road Degenerates. You were in a rock band. Oh, my God. Uh, that's a so- throwback. <laughs> There's not a lot of people in this that's town who I know those you. words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I met you. And then and the next time I played, um, it was a Natural Tour Stop at... Uh, Belcourt. Mm-hmm. There was a coffee shop we did a couple of. Uh, we did that was the that was just love on yeah, yeah, the yeah, Mundrian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With, with Hunter Lyons. And, yeah, and, dude. Uh, yeah, that was good stuff. I used. I remember calling the three of us the three amigos mm-hmm. back then because we played so many of those rounds together. Yeah. Back when I could book all of my shows in my like pocket calendar. The I like loved the, it. The oh, pocket well, calendar with the, a, a small pen and paper. I knew you weren't messing around. Uh, <laughs> when you pulled out that little notebook, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> like this guy doesn't fuck around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in today's world, you pull out a little like handwritten notebook with your schedule on it. It that that's like, man, like this guy's not joking. Because <laughs> I mean, the technology is great these days, but I can put so many things in my calendar. I I I don't live and die by a calendar like that. Even something easy like digital, but handwritten. I'm like, so the four oh four, four oh four. That's a throwback, man. Because yeah. I only did a handful of shows there. I didn't go through you for that show though. So that was, that was the big twist Mm -hmm. was like, I met you and, um, a Chris, the other dirt. Chris Delisle. Yeah. Yeah. First time his name has ever been mentioned on the podcast. (laughs) Well, he was running sound. And so like, I, I I assumed I was going to meet this girl named Jen or Jenny or something like that. Right. Never met her. Um, and that's totally part of the, like, climbing the ladder pay your dues part of the songwriter world oh yeah is you go there expecting to shake hands with the person who booked you um you know try and meet some people and especially a fresh face no one knew who the hell i was um and uh yeah 404 bar and grill i don't even know if that thing's still open man i i'm glad that you have such a good memory of that because i honestly just remember seeing him you play and being like Shit, this guy's good. Because <laughs> I, I think you played, uh, I think you played War Cry. Because that would have been a brand new single yeah, yeah, back yeah, yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. God, and that yeah. was the one that got 
editorial placements on yeah, Spotify, right? Yeah, yeah. That was one of those, like the kind of the the white rhino. It yeah, just, they just, just happened. But one of those recordings, you. And this is this is the world we live in too, where it, like nothing really matters, which is the fascinating. Mm-hmm. Part. Like I put a recording out of me and, and Kevin Smith, basically just me and Kevin Smith in my bedroom recording. We did the drums in a bedroom. Um, did Were they the, live drums? Oh yeah, oh yeah, real drums. I, I had of a Behringer four input. Wow, um, still have it. Uh, I, I, I use a little bit higher quality now, mm-hmm. but, but at this point. You know, it's like we had four inputs of so what I forget what the is it is it like the John Lyles or something style recording. Mm-hmm. There's a type, there's a name for this specific type of drum mic placement, but it's kick drum, snare, and two overheads. That's right. it. And so we could we did that for this recording. So you're looking at a logic session with maybe 30 tracks in it, maybe. Wow. And we recorded it all at the amps in the room, mic'd them up. Um, that's cool. And well, we put the track out and it gets Pretty much as big of an independent placement as you can get in the rock world. Um, and I think that kind of raw sound is what a lot of rock fans like, though. Well, here's the, garage the catch. Band, the well, well, 100%. old school stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, it does. And it is. Because it's like you can hear vulnerabilities in it. You can hear, you know, as much. But also, Michael Meckling mixed it. So it's like Mike, in my opinion, has got one of the best ears for mixing. Um, so he has a polish to it mm-hmm. that it doesn't sound like we recorded in a bedroom. It you doesn't I mean? sound like that. Yeah. But it, you know, yeah, deep but down. he did email me. He emailed me and he was like, man, some of this stuff is pretty rough. Where'd y'all record it? I'm like, oh, in the bedroom. <laughs> like, and he's oh, laughing. I'm like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not kidding, man. Like we, we didn't spend a dollar <laughs> on this track. Uh, and, uh, and, but he does such a good job polishing it up that it, it wasn't like we put out a raw track spotify you know i'm I'm certain it wasn't a person that placed that song into an algorithm or something the algorithm picked up that song and i can't i can't be um positive but i'm almost certain that that's what happened it met the you know the requirements for whatever they you know that's a scary technology in these days because we're learning that right now can listen to you and know exactly like it belongs with all these things it just placed it like it was a great placement mm-hmm. you know it was like but it was a little intimidating being sandwiched between the head and the heart and nathaniel <laughs> ratliff and you're like this song ain't gonna last you're <laughs> like do they know who i am <laughs> those guys don't <laughs> but the algorithm placed it there and it is funny like putting out music after that placement we have had one other placement okay but but everything else has fallen through the cracks and we've put so much time and energy into those recordings and mixes wow. and writing that it is funny looking back to the 404 bar and grill days, we recorded a track, put it out, and it got about as high as you could independently on a Spotify. Oh, no kidding, because there's so many of these people pumping thousands of dollars into their tracks. Man. And they go nowhere. And then that's the bitter truth is that the reality is that you just don't know anymore. Yep. And, you know, it seems like the DSPs have all the data that they need. And so they're kind of, they, they've got what they like, that computer has what they think people would like. And then you have a few people that kind of get favored. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it's just kind of a hog luck. shoot. A lot of luck, man. Uh, that, I feel like that's most of our industry is just mm. luck and just a lot. I guess everyone will say it's like, oh, it's about being in the right place in the right time. And the best place to be is everywhere. And the right time <laughs> is say, every, it's all the time. Right place, right right time <laughs> means every day you're doing something. You're trying to go everywhere. Yeah, yeah. that's that was my uh, my method for tour stop early on. It's like, all right. We're just going to do as yeah. many shows as we can. Yeah. And it starts to pay off eventually because then somebody's going to be like, damn, you're like, you're like doing something, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. It, it doesn't look like that big when you're inside of the bubble, but when you're outside of the bubble, sometimes it looks like you're like, you're, you're actually like, you're making some progress, yeah. bud. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the big vacuum in Nashville is mm-hmm. that everyone wants to be the cowboy, but, but there's no, there's really not a great support system for the latter. You know, there's a great system in place for people who are very successful already. Right. You know, someone who like, if you can already sell X amount of tickets, sell X amount of streams or CDs, vinyl, you know, there, there's a lot of people who, who can help you right. manage that. But the climb up the ladder, there's not a lot of support. There's a huge disparity between those two camps. Yeah. Yeah. And even the middle class, you know, 
of music is shrinking just like the rest of the, the world, but there's not, it, it helps when you have a promoter mm-hmm. who's sitting there, A, you have actual ears on the ground listening to, you're not just Present everyone. company excluded. Well, Because well. of, of the deaf. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> a good joke. Uh, I, I feel, yeah, but I feel like having, having the promoter act- actively listen and engage in the camps that are moving through town, um, and curating shows is, I, I think, one of the most important things. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this a lot because of things going on behind the scenes. Right. But like cur- having someone, I think that's what's so special about what National Tour Stop does. And and you have probably three or four people in town, your allies that are doing similar things, um, sometimes different. But it is cool to say like how it started off with you in a rock band and you wanted to play with other good acts you know, but also you needed people to be in the room, you know, and it's funny to see how that turned into a very successful curated Because I never wanted it to be this thing that was like, oh, it's the next, like, whatever. Right, 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 right. right. It was really just an excuse for me to dick around with my friends and have drinks. And, and we did so much of that at Belcourt. It was, yeah. yeah. It was never. Um, R.I.P. Belcourt taps. I know, I know. I Say know. it every episode, almost. I know. Well, well <laughs> probably gets brought up every episode, too, uh, even if you didn't yeah, say Yeah, it's it. one of those things It's just like, It's a harsh reality of what's happening in Nashville is the places that are those stepping stones to the bigger venues are going away. Yeah. And it's becoming harder and harder to be an independent musician in Nashville, which sucks because there's, let's be honest, tens of thousands of people here doing this and tens of thousands of them won't make it just because there's fucking nothing to do. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's really, um, it's really crazy. I don't think I know the town now where if someone asked me blank canvas, where would I move in the United States? I'm a, you know, let's just say a 23-year-old musician, 22-year-old musician. So right out of college, mm-hmm. asked, where do I go to play music? You know, I don't actually know anymore. No. I would have said Nashville 10 years ago, and I'm sure, you know, there's different little cities. Because Austin and Nashville have just kind of swallowed everything. Mm-hmm. Up. Um, it's like you had to have been here you know, like people maybe moving in 2005, like early, early cusp of the rise of, of indie rock. Because in people aren't going to California the same way to, to no. be like, oh, I'm going to be a young songwriter and I'm just going to go try to make it out there. Because yeah. we see it here in Nashville now. All of these people are like refugees coming from yeah, yeah. coming from L.A. Yeah. because there's nothing for them there. Oh, man, it's it is crazy. It is crazy. I, I guess New Orleans has got kind of a cool scene. That would be that would be something that I'm seeing a lot of really cool acts coming out of there. Admittedly, you know, from from that area. So yeah, you're uh, a local Louisian. Yeah, Louisianian. Yeah. Is that how you say yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, but I, I do think. Um, you know, seeing seeing a little bit, especially how much country is turned. Like I say, country, not like like a uh, backbeat, backstreet mm-hmm. country. Like the like real like rootsy. You know, almost there's almost a speakeasy side of country coming out. There it's is really, really cool, um, but a lot of that's coming from really deep south or even midwest places that's really cool to see kind of like swamp rock vibe kind yeah. of country yeah yeah i like that stuff um like sierra Farrell, um you know west virginia girl but um so what was it like growing up in the south the deep south as it were i don't you know i i like completely not probably not much different than than how you grew up or midwest like um, deep Midwest. I'm learning that. Like a lot of the guys, the more I travel, you know, this past year, I think we've done four different, like very specific trips to the Midwest. Okay. Uh, which means like some of that just was by nature of touring. Oh, we're in the Midwest. And sometimes like we have to go there for some promo work or, um, people calling us to come for isolated shows. (laughs) So, which is a, which is a fun place to be. It's also frustrating, um, cause you want, you want to have the blanket scape of like a lot of these cities are calling us, but the reality is, is like, we've got, <laughs> we've got half a dozen places that probably realistically want us. That's mm-hmm. about it. Everywhere else we're going to go and try and break ground. <clears throat> but the Midwest is, is, um, that is, that is a tough place. Like the rural Midwest. I mean, now that's where I came from because yeah. when I first moved to Nashville, I was coming from Columbia, Missouri, like mm-hmm. that Midwestern vibe, like nobody wanted what I was selling no like we had a huge like heavy metal rock scene Mm -hmm. 
And sure, I enjoy listening to that music sometimes, but like, I, I can't write that. I yeah, sure as right, shit right, right, can't right, right. sing it. And yeah, well, yeah try pa- patching together here, a I was band. Like, I found people who like what I do. Right, right, right. But that's the charm. <laughs> that's the charm, you know? I mean, rural Louisiana, like there's nobody that's- What that's, city are you from? Uh, so I, I would say Alexandria. Okay. But I pro- realistically, most of my, the culture upbringing would have been south of that. So closer to Lafayette. Okay. There's like a little corridor if you're like looking at the boot, you know, it's like the, it's, it's definitely, it's South Louisiana, but it's a little bit in that central, like okay. the South central, but there was no, there was a lot of music. So I, I felt the one thing I brought to the table moving to Nashville, I didn't have any technicality. Like I didn't have any like guitar or vocal lessons, none of that, but I had hundreds of hours of live stage present like live um, that's what that's more than a lot of people oh well well it was it was something that when i you know started at belmont i realized i'm like most of my peers did you go to belmont for two years well shit yeah. i didn't know that yeah yeah, yeah so i did two years better friends. Yeah, yeah yeah it's right <laughs> getting to know each other um i felt like a lot of these people were technically like light years ahead of me like in terms of their abilities and mm-hmm. knowledge and music but I'm not going to say none of them, but the vast majority, like 80% of them had almost zero time on stage. And what, a good guitar player that doesn't know how to entertain doesn't do much on stage. Well, it's Watching kinda, a good player yeah, is great, yeah. but I mean, have you ever watched like Steve Vai or Joe Satriani <laughs> on stage? Those guys are just as fun to watch as they yeah, are to listen yeah, to. They, I mean, the, the, and those guys are like, like that's, that is like music school, like prodigy guys, mm-hmm. like guys like that, you know, Joe Satriani, um, I could, as much as I like them as players, I can never touch what they do. Oh, absolutely not. So it Me never either. was like fun. I like listening to music that I can like approach it. And this is like the- You can try to play. There it is. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like that's the selfish side of me as a musician. And it's like, I if it's too good, then it's like, I don't know, man, I can't digest this. It's like, <laughs> but if it's like, hey, that's actually really cool. Let me see. Let me see how I can. I remember know. when I was doing a demo for my uh, How to Write a Country Song. Yeah. I did a, I did just like a garage band demo of that. And I sent you the work tape and the solo on it. You said, man, I don't, I think this is too good for this song. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause it was, it, it, the, the song is a joke. Yeah. And then you had a burner on the, on the, the track. I'm like, I think we got to swap make it this bad. up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You got to make it a bad <laughs> guitar solo. <laughs> Wait, dude, it's gotta be way worse than this. Yeah. Yeah. Without, yeah. Well, that's that, that was fun about that Nashville tour stop time period that I think will I will personally look back on when you're putting out songs like that like making fun of country songs like that was like our safe space as songwriters to like you really want to be careful if you're at Live Oak or like a lot of these joints that are putting out super country like so many pop country artists that's where they go to yeah you don't want to sit there and be like you know, a butt cheek and walk in and sit there and like make fun of all these. Yeah. Guys. I'm not, I'm not doing it to hurt someone's feeling. It's, it's a joke. And well, it, at, at, at Belcourt taps in 2020, we were doing it to hurt people's feelings. <laughs> yeah, We were doing it. We, we were doing it as a middle finger in the air to be like, well, you know, as far as we're concerned, Nashville's changed. The world's changing. Everything's changing. So it is a, it is a little bit of an F you to the establishment. Just kind of a defense mechanism for just like, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to make fun of something that I don't like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. But, but that was the fun part that I will look back fondly on that time period where we couldn't tour and it was a little, you're a little bit of a pariah if you were touring or trying to tour for obvious reasons. You know? And yeah, we got slack even just for having those shows. Yeah, we did. We did. I remember I, yeah. people DMing me on Instagram and being like, Aaron, like you, you've got 20 people in the room together. Like you're part of the problem. And I was like, well, I got to pay my rent. I mean, well, and that, that's where it all lied. Of like, I, I remember getting comments about, about that. Mm-hmm. Like, this was before vaccination. So it was, it was about, you know, isolation and, right. and masking. And I remember people making comments because some of those pictures, it was packed. Yes. <laughs> I look back now and I'm like, oh. well, well, I mean, you look back and you're like, I, I, like what's I, the statute of limitations on breaking the law? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, we were certainly breaking the law, but I also feel as, as bad as I felt for, cause I mean, we, I'm sure I'm not alone, but when we got every kind of COVID there was, you know, because of that, mm-hmm. you know, that was the, 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 you know, that was part of what happened. But you look at some people were like, oh, I lived in isolation for eight months. 
And I'm like, equally as messed up. Like, that's like, as, as that's what we were told to do. But it's like, man, that sucks. As a musician, you're like, how, you know, it I don't hurts. Know. Yeah, it hurts. Because we're, we're kind of conditioned to want to be around yeah. others. And we, we, I mean, let's be honest, we're kind of compulsively on stage. 100%. And being in front of an audience tickles that thing. Yeah. And nothing else does that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at least for me, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of turned to a bottle to tickle that itch, but gosh, I, I don't know if I would have kept it together as no. long as I did, if I hadn't gone back to doing this, Yeah, because I, I mean, that was at a point where I was like, well, I can't host shows. I don't have any qualifications to have any other kind of a job. Yeah. Now what? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, I, I went to working at a grocery store I during 2020. That. You worked at a Publix, right? Uh, to a turnip truck. Turnip truck. And, and, the, and, and at the same time that all this was, this was like part of that big musical question of like, should we be out on the weekends playing, playing these writers? Because mm-hmm. we were past like the initial corny. This would have been fall of 2020. Yeah, this was fall of 2020. You know, so it was like, we were past it, but it's like society had no problem you know, with a lot of people starting to go back to work and this and that, like we were at that point and it's like, okay, well, I think, you know, I'm going crazy. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I've got to go and play some I've got to do something. So, but, but, but it was, it's seeing the amount of people that were drawn to that and, and artists and, and, and creators all coming together. We needed it. We needed it, but it also is a fond memory, like mm-hmm. for what, I think the reason me and you are talking right now is because we didn't, we didn't stop. I think that's a good point because there's a lot of those people who did stop. Yeah. And now I don't want to project feelings, but I definitely know people who feel like they got a a year or two behind because they didn't go out and do stuff and they did stay in isolation and they didn't get sick and great. Yeah. But they don't have anything going on that they might've had going on if they hadn't stopped for two years. Yeah. And that's a harsh reality to grapple with because boy, howdy, I wanted to go out and do more. And let's be honest, sure, I was sure, already sure. doing a lot. <laughs> <sighs> well, well, there was it like we had, we, I bet I lost about 60, 65 shows in 2020. Mm-hmm. So going in like January, February, we had blanket booked, like carpet bombed this summer. You did a heavy fu- summer fall tour schedule, right? It was coming and all of a sudden we, 2020 mm-hmm. hits, we lose all it. We, we didn't lose all of it. We lost 95% of it. Right. It's like, I, I was not about to start traveling to places to play. That was like, a, to for play me, cross, for probably nobody. And, and, but, but let's say there was a lot of people. It's like, it was a little bit of like, okay, we still don't know enough about what's going on yet. Mm-hmm. But it was in terms of my hometown going play for friends and like do tour stop stuff. It's like, that feels a little bit more controlled. And I, I feel yeah. like we made the right move in hindsight by canceling tours, but also like, let's see what we can do. You know, you hear all comedians do the same thing in New York with, right. you know, they would do broadcasts, you know, it was live stream stuff. We went through that live stream phase. I saw a lot of comedians in New York doing rooftop comedy yeah, yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that. Uh, House concerts, like yeah. outdoor backyard concerts became yeah. super prevalent here. Right. I never did any of those. <laughs> I tried one. It was like my neighbor texted and was like, can you put a PA system in the yard and like play some tunes. Uh, we're gonna do like a little Saturday like happy hour thing. And this was like peak COVID. So this is when right. like during these, the shutdown, <laughs> some of these people hadn't seen humans. Yep. You know. And so I tried to play a couple of songs, and it it was weird because no, you're not. I'm not playing to anybody. I'm playing to someone a house down, then a someone two houses down. Right. Like they're on their porch, and just after a couple of songs, I'm like, dude, I gotta get out of here. Like, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this. I remember playing one house concert during the shutdown. It was at Coley Kohler's house over by Percy Priest Lake. Nice. Ages ago, before I guess they've moved now, but it was in their driveway, and they had like roped off. Like this is your little six by six area this is yours whatever yeah and it was the most people i had seen in whatever it was three months yeah. it was before i guess how long did the t- shutdown last two and a half i actually three don't months? remember i don't remember something like that but i remember playing and i had never it was the first time i played a lot of my funny songs yeah because i wrote don't invite me to your wedding on april 20th of 2020 so it was during the height of the shutdown oh, wow. i wrote it on 420 just <laughs> but i remember that and 
I remember playing it to these people and seeing people like smile and laugh. I was like, I, I forgot that this happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's well, happening. Right, 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 right. You get a, a reaction from a song. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, we do need this. Yeah. And I remember so many people are saying like, oh, live music's dead. Live music's going to be over. And like, no, it's not. Yeah. Like we desperately crave live entertainment. Yeah, man. I, I feel like that, it's been around uh, for millennia. It's not going anywhere. No. Well, w- what has changed is people getting more comfortable at, mm-hmm. at home. And it's not just music. You see it with like movie theaters and, and, and entertainment across the board. Totally. You know, people are more comfortable at home because we were conditioned for a hot second. Like when was the last time you went to see a th- movie in the theater? Um, not since COVID. Yeah. You know, I've gone to one and I didn't like it. I was literally the only I, person in the theater. Actually, I take that back. No, I went and saw Top Gun Maverick. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but I, but admittedly, I don't like theaters anymore. It, it has to I be maybe either. some, maybe something, it has to be something like a, like Top Gun Maverick where it's like they spent a gajillion dollars on these flight scenes where mm-hmm. you like, you really want to be in front of an, imp- in like a, a impressive huge screen and in, in, in a, in a big sound system. Um, cause I don't even like that movie. I right. just was like, out of, out of as an artist, I respected how much work how much went work into went that. It. And it was cool. Admittedly, it's cool. Have you ever listened to John Mulaney stand up? Wait, okay. Okay. Tell me which one. Who's, John Mulaney. Is he the one that's super dark? No, that's Anthony Jessel. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. But John okay. Mulaney, he's a, he's a wonderful comedian, but he's yeah. talking about movies like that, that spend like. $200 million. He's like, you don't need to make a movie with that money. I would pay $10 just to see $200 million. <laughs> just like an exhibit. Just yeah. It's like, you don't need to do that, but it's still cool getting to go do that. But man, I, I just don't enjoy going to the theater. Like I saw Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness last God, that would have been May of 22. Yeah. I was literally the only person in the theater. They had to turn the room on for me. Wait, really? It was awkward. Well, that I think that's where they're at. I think that's where they're at. It's like, like theaters are dying. It's I, I, except I, for Avatar: The Way of the Water, which is already like seen two it billion dollars. Is it really? I haven't seen it yeah. either. Well, that would be another movie you'd I'd want to see in a theater, like like a, a big one. Yeah, and and I think maybe I'm that, not going to go watch some art house. I don't think so. I'm not. We're not watching dramas. Like I'm not going to go see a Wes Anderson film in a theater. I, I, at least not post 2020. Like it's Mm-mm. like we've got it at the house. We've got a TV and a sound bar now. Like that we sounds good. Looks good. <laughs> and it's just like plop on the couch. And you can wear sweatpants and no shoes. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, sneak in booze. Um, no, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's been tough. And I'm sure. I mean, I'm talking to the mm-hmm. you know preaching to the choir here. You run shows. It's like we were talking about touring this year, and we're doing. We're, we've got some stuff unannounced, but we have some festivals we're doing this summer. And I remember talking to the promoters of the festival. Um, you know, I knew we would be playing them this year because we were doing promo stuff um, for the radio stuff. And I remember talking to promoters and they they're just as nervous as maybe movie theaters like right now. You're Will talking about show like, up. Well, like this just people are just a little bit. How, how did he say it? He was just talking about like what, you know, some of their not their high end donors and not the like tip jar donors that like that middle class of donors who usually you can expect mm-hmm. a couple of hundred, if not a thousand of them each giving a hundred bucks, you know, right. something like that in that realm of, of giving, um, they are not seeing that anymore. Wow. And, but it's like, it's to the point where it's like, it feels like he was saying every year when they roll in these festivals out, it's a gamble every year as, as, as they used to feel like he was growing every year. Now they're feeling like it's gambling. And I, I feel like hearing them talk about that from the angle of like, you know, some of these, it's not all of them. Some of them are brand new festival stuff, right. but some of them have been doing this for decades at this point, you know, over a decade. So it is a little terrifying on the entertainment front. I, I thought a long time about getting into the festival world, but trying to put on big, complicated events like that yeah. sucks. <laughs> Dude, <I bet>. Because <laughs> what, what I never, what I never thought about, put it down. Yeah. What I never thought about was like, sure. Booking good bands for a festival is one thing, but you know what a festival also has to have? Food, drinks, yeah, bathrooms, security, water, security, like everything. Yeah. And if you miss one thing, yeah, 
everything can come off the rails. Dude, yeah, man. And I don't know if I want that kind of pressure. No. Because like, what was that taco fest we almost played? Oh my god. <laughs> that was almost our first festival. <laughs> oh god. So what John's talking about here is a, a festival that Tour Stop got asked to do in uh, the summer of 2022, and it was the Nashville Taco and Margarita Festival inside the Nissan Stadium. And before I go on, it did happen. Yep. It did it happen. It was real. It was real. But it turned out to just be the biggest clusterfuck. Yeah. Like, they had one food truck for 8,000 people. Yeah, man. And there was no... There was no music. There was no entertainment. There was nothing happening except for 10,000 people waiting in line for one food truck with bad tacos. Dude, I, <laughs> we, we almost played that. I remember you called me to be like, hey, put this on your calendar. I don't have the details yet, but it looks like it's happening. Just in case. And I was like, so I called the band and I was like, what, you know, and everyone has the host of questions about like, what is this going to look like? And I didn't know, you know, um, and ends up, you know, we were thinking stages on the, on the football field, kind of, you know, um, ro- rotating acts, you know, it's just gonna be cool. Um, while it's a taco festival, which who doesn't like tacos, you know? Um, well, it ends up not happening. And then, and I was, it was just killing me to find out what happened with this festival. The, to the, the, the reviews that came out. Oh my God. Well, that was a big, they were just trashing this festival because it's in, it's in our Nissan stadium. It's the biggest stadium it's like 55, in middle Tennessee. Seats. It's huge. And it's like, so they had a taco festival there. Nobody shows up. You know, you're looking at some that seats, what, 70, 80,000 people, you know, you're looking at single digit thousands of people yep. show up. And yeah, it's like you said about the tacos. Uh, apparently the complaint <laughs> was, was that the concession stands made the tacos. So you weren't craft tacos. No, they were not. It was, just, it was just concession tacos and concession margaritas. Sounds and it was, terrible. <laughs> it was called it the Taco so Margarita Festival. And like, it's just scam 101. Um, and he, it just checked all the boxes so this dude could, or, you know, organization couldn't get sued, but they had the festival. And I meant, I was so glad we did not do that. Me too. There's been a lot of opportunities that have come and gone in this town, some of which that I really wish would have happened, and some of which I'm grateful that I oh pulled out of. <laughs> On that note, here, let's take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. We're back with the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast, recording live from the 8th Room here yeah. in Nashville, Tennessee. Right. John, thank you for joining us today. But yeah, your, man. your name is John, but you don't go by John. No, I go by my last name, Olye. Yeah. Olye. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Even though my southernism still calls you Hollier sometimes. <laughs> at, hey, at, at this point, I like... Um, I feel I feel like a little bit of a duty to to continue that you know because um, it's not just a, it's not just a funky last name it's right. a pretty rich history of, of Cajun it's French music right and, yep it's French um, and I, I my my family on both sides mom and dad both okay. have a pretty robust um, you know French and and Cajun Acadian um, history so I do feel a little bit of um you know my first gig was my uncle's Cajun band uh so I I, 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 <laughs> I, right. do, I do feel a little bit of a duty to like you know because we talked about that with the management about you know putting on it we we're about to put out a first record it's like are we 100% sure you want to go by a name that literally no one can pronounce you know um my dad's first language is French my, my grandpa that's still alive mm. is considered a native speaker um, um they had the University of Lafayette Louisiana they uh they studied they interviewed him you know he's along with you know a couple thousand people left in that mm-hmm. area that can still speak like that so Olie is a very common name to them right. I told I told management everybody I'm like let's let's stick to our guns if here, we can know? learn to pronounce Schwarzenegger <laughs> he can Olie run for got, that's not going to be a hard that's yeah, not going to be yeah. a hard learn <laughs> and they did a good job we uh we put one song out uh. It's spring of 2022. Which one was that? Was and that Reckless, Reckless Love? Love? Yeah. And it charted. Like we did, like that Banger. was, that was, yeah. And, and it's like, we, we came out the gun. Like I, I was kind of prepped that like, this is your first time on radio. Expect a lot of people to, to just kind of like look and pass. They get a lot of, you know, uh, we had, uh, 
we had a, a, a lady who was doing our radio campaign is a wonderful, wonderful person. And she's a lot of experience, a lot of success. And, uh, and she did a really good job of prepping everyone who got the song, knew how to say, okay, how to say yeah. the name, you know, uh, Cause the well, last yeah, thing you yeah. want to do is have a number one and have some DJ on iHeartRadio be like, and here's reckless love by Hollier. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that is being that much exposure. You know, we only had a couple of dozen, you know, probably less than 50 stations actually played reckless love. I, I got the reports of it. Some of them showed us a lot of love. Like it's cool. Played, you know, we had a one, one station, we almost 200 plays, wow. which is huge. That's huge. Yeah. For yeah, yeah. So that artist. would have been, that was like an asterisk by like that place, like over the course of a season, we got a couple hundred plays there. They were all pronouncing everything. Um, you know, they were all pronouncing the last name, got everything right. But there is a little bit of that. Like I was warned about being primed for radio that it's like, <laughs> there's a little bit of even musical merit can't get some people to pay attention, you know, mm-hmm. a weird last name and a first song, you know, um, you're pretty much at the mercy of, of music lovers. Just to see kind of like, let's see if any one of these things will catch someone's interest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bizarre name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing an outdated style of music, you know. We got real drums. Like, what, you know? what, what would you call your genre if, if you could put it, put it to a couple of words? You know, there, there's like this record we're putting out. I, I was thinking about that. It, it falls in the DSP, like a- Apple and Spotify, Amazon. It falls on the rock. If you okay. were, if you you were to look under a rock. A blanket term. That's the blanket. But but what does that actually mean? It's definitely Southern. I, I wouldn't call it that, but I get boxed in so much as like a Southern rock. It's almost this alternative Southern rock. Because a lot of people would equate Southern rock with Skinner. Skinner. 100%. Like and dueling you definitely guitars, don't sound like Skinner. Not even a little bit. And and, and you you hear that a little bit like Southern rock and it, it takes you back a sec. Cause I didn't, I didn't grow up in Georgia or Alabama. I grew up in South Louisiana. So it's like totally different approach to like, you know, uh, you know, we didn't have the same stigmas and, and uh, stereotypes you would fall mm-hmm. under the Gulf Coast Southeast. So it's like, I hear Southern rock. I'm like, man, I, I didn't, that's not my stuff. You know, that's not my music, but I get what people are saying. It's, it's not country music, but it's, it has that rural element to it. You it's kind of like highway rock and roll. Like, yeah, I love that term. I've heard that term. Highway yeah, rock. Highway rock and roll. Because it, it is a windows down, like, you've got to drive and be a lot of it's four on the floor. That's what it sounds know? like. Um, and and I, I like, but but in terms of, like, if I had to box, like, I just filled out a form. Um, they, they made me fill out a form of basic information for one of the festivals. And it's like, I, I need to submit pictures. And they also made me do a quick bio with the genre. And I was like, oh boy. Like, your, your elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh God. It, and of course they have like acoustic rock, like acoustic song. And there's an element of songwriter in this, like specific songwriter genre. And, you know, I've gotten in this argument, not argument, but debate with people about what is like songwriter genre mean? Because mm-hmm. John Mayer is a songwriter. Right. But is he in songwriter genre? Right. I would say no. You know, he uh, leans harder towards pop. Yeah, exactly. Which is this record leans harder towards rock. Mm. But there is, I would say, a little bit of the songwriter like tendencies that you would hear from if you go to Americana Fest in Nashville. Which I think one of the good ways that I can I kind of try to compartmentalize it is songwriter music can be played. What, I think it just comes down to being a good song. Yeah. They can be played acoustic or they can be played with a band. And regardless of which way it's performed, it's still yeah. a good song. Right. And it's, I think about that. It's like, you couldn't play like Megadeth on an acoustic guitar and have it be the yeah. same. Right. Right, 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 right. I think that's a testament to why songwriter is such a, excuse me. I think that's one of the reasons why songwriter music is such a loose term is because it's so vague and different and unique to what many genres aren't yeah. doing like oh yeah you really you really can't play a lot of genres acoustic yeah and rock almost every time can in some form be stripped down yeah I, mtv well, unplugged man yeah, yeah yeah well that's that's been something i was actually talking to the uh, king margo girls about this like they like playing shows with them has forced me to adapt my set. This is King Margo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, so those, they are in that highly specialized, like songwriter, I'm going to say the word songwriter style of music, meaning that their record is built around the song. Right. 
specifically the song, not a riff, not a not like a a theme or a motif on mm-hmm. the instruments. It's really just like here's the chords, here's the lyrics. That doing shows with them under that style of music, because I have a lot of songs that are the opposite. It's based around a guitar intro or a drum beat intro. And and a lot of times the lyrics are just kind of they're they're I didn't I didn't sit down and have like this Robert Frost moment. You know, it's like this is just a rock and roll song. <laughs> but that gets exposed when you tour in the songwriter realms. Mm-hmm. I mean, doing your shows. Right. Like I, I really do feel like there's a there's an element of like you have to lean in heavy on some of these songs because you're like they just do well acoustically. But there's a lot of some of my favorite songs that I've written that have no place in a songwriter's round. Because they're not made for that. They're not made for it. And in fact, and, and I, I find if I spend too much time in the songwriter circles, I lose a little bit of the live show edge mm-hmm. because you're like, you're not John Prine. You know, you're, you're not, you know, you, we're not doing any of this, like this classical rootsy songwriter stuff. Right. These records that the record I'm about to put out is very much a rock art. I mean, we had Eric Massey produce it and and Nick Bockraff and G Max and you know guys in KG Elephant and like we like You've got some hard names coming man, up it's on a this. Cool, it's a cool, really unique. You're the only guy I'm going to let name drop on the podcast. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, oh my God. <laughs> Off the record, is that we don't do that? No, we can do that. That's okay. totally fine. Okay, okay, guys, guys. <laughs> but I mean, having those guys on the record those like if that is a it's a weird sound okay it's a really really specific unique kind of thing that we're doing that i can't play like nick at a writer's round and i can't i the mic placements will never be what eric does Mm -hmm. so when this record when i'm trying to play it live i really have struggled to find that bridge of identity of like hey uh, you know half the shows i did this past year were acoustic right so it's like, what the hell does that even mean? And you like you like doing both styles. Yeah. And I think that's so the Foo Fighters did that for a while. They would do either the rock shows or the acoustic shows. And then uh Clive Davis, are you, you know Clive Davis? Yeah. Big time record producer, owner of Capitol Records, I believe Capitol, right? Is that correct? I'm going to say yes, but I have actually no idea. I'm not 100%. I think it's Capitol Records. No, that all it, it sounds might be right. RCA. It's one of those like classic. He's one of those like, old school biggest record producers yeah. ever. But he was talking to the Foo Fighters about that. And he's like, yes, both of these things are great, but you can do them together. Yeah. And then Dave Grohl, he's like, oh shit, yeah, we can. Yeah. So they did that. Yeah. And they're like, part of the show is the big rock anthems and then you can always take it down and bring it back up but if you only do one kind of music your shows can only be one thing so i think that's why this kind of music that you're doing is so unique is because it affords you the opportunity to do both i appreciate you saying that i I, dave Grohl would be an an obvious for a lot of people he's their favorite artist but he is a like a thriving example of someone who can take what the problem I'm talking about that I'm trying to have solutions mm-hmm. with in 2023 um, is taking a rock record and, and being able to chameleon your way into situations um, like sharing the stage with very proficient elite songwriters. How do you survive? Right. You know, you're just treading water at a certain point. But Dave Grohl does it. Fr- I'm not going to curse, but he does a freaking awesome job of of shushing a crowd with a song that has only exclusively been heard as a bang bang. Right. You know, and all of a sudden you're like, dude, this is. This is beautiful. It's a, it's a piece of art. And yeah. It's, it's a song. Yeah. It, at yeah. its core, it's just a song. Yeah. I know. I love that. I, yeah. So that's, that's where we're at is, is, is taking the record. Have you decided what the record's going to be called? It's a self-titled. Okay. It's too different. You know, someone once told me that your first record you've been writing for 10 years. Cause it's like, I've, I've put out an EP. I've put out a lot of singles, but an actual collection of songs. It's like, this was, it's just it's just too too much time has gone by I'm writing all these songs to have a theme. Will some of the singles be included on this record or will it be yeah, all yeah. new? Yeah, Devils and Details and Reckless Love which have been released um they will both be on the record. Cool. Yeah. So this one we're we're trying I don't have the exact we're waiting for the album artwork honestly. Um and uh once that gets done I think we're going to just just really put the record out immediately. Um, I think my management is going to try and get a PR campaign going. Um, we, we had all that in place for reckless love, cool. but, uh, I'm not sure there's another like true radio single on this is, this is goes back to like the super weird team of people we recorded this record with. 
It's, is it interesting? 1000%. But it also is weird. It's like the one, <laughs> the, the one radio, like quote unquote radio song we already put out. So I'm interested to see what, what honestly they do with it. I'm, I'm interested to see. Um, I loved the weird, I don't, record two. This might be a two record year for me. Really? Um, I've, well, I mean, we've been sitting on this, this self-titled record for over a year now. So and it's been done. It's been done. Yeah. Yeah. And Man. so we're at this point, we, uh, we had to wait, we were cleaning up, a, we had to clean up a few things, but, but that was on the back end of seeing how things were performing, you know, the first two singles, how did they perform? And it's like, okay, well, I have enough data at this point to know, like, maybe we, you clean up a few things on the back end of this okay. record, put this thing out. How many tracks are you going to put on this first record? We recorded 11. Okay. We brought 13 into the studio. I recorded 11 and we're going to put out 10. Okay. So, so I'll bonus track. I'll have bonus, a bonus track. I'll have a bonus track. It didn't fit the record. It was one of those songs. I'm sure it, as an artist, you've kind of experienced this too. Like the song and the demo were so strong that when I got this specific group of people together to record the record, I felt like the song didn't serve this team. Having like the super out, out there, you know, unique, aggressive guitar playing my voice, Eric engineering and, 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 uh, G max and, and Robbie playing this song. I, I heard the track back. I'm like, this does not belong on this. Record. This is, this is not right for these guys. No, well, no. And it didn't serve any purpose on the record. And uh, it doesn't mean that they're not like the good players that they are, but like, no, in fact, it's, it's the opposite for me. I feel like the song, I didn't know who was going to play on the record. Mm -hmm. So bring in, in hindsight, if I would have known who was going to be playing, I would have just brought a difference right. to the table, but we brought 13 and it got a little like, um, in that a couple of more two songwritery and we, we wanted those like weird bangers. So, so that way, whenever you put out the vinyl deluxe edition after it's gone platinum, <laughs> then you can put on the extra, you can put it, the bonus it, track it, on it. We're, yeah. yeah I, I'm going to try and print vinyl for it. And I don't know if you've been experiencing this. I, I want biggest problem with vinyl is expense. Mm -hmm. Cause at this point, like I'm not printing enough of it to make money. Right. Those small margins, you know, I'm, I don't buy vinyl. That's more than like 20, $25. And that's for a record that I really like. Right. So it's like, if I print vinyl at this point, it's going to cost in the $20 it's of vinyl. Expensive. And so it's like at that price, it's going to be an asterisk. Be like, Hey, pay for shipping. It's a wash on the price. I'm just, I'm basically going to, I don't want to lose money on it, but I'm not going to make a dollar. If you help me it. break yeah. even, you can have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I'll, I'll bloat, you know, t-shirt prices, <laughs> but it's yeah. like, but for this, it's like vinyl. I, the record was done analog, all old school. That's awesome. So vinyl is what it's made for, mm -hmm. you know? And in fact, digital streaming exposes a lot of those like elements where it's not, if you look at the sound wave, it's not a brick. That's some of the stuff I've done in the past of, of all digital recording. What was the process of recording analog like? Stressful. It was like, <laughs> well, well, coming from, I am not a product of that environment. Like I, I'm, I've only known digital recording. I mean, what we're doing right now for the podcast, like that's what I've known of like, Oh, you're exposing us. We're not recording this on tape. <laughs> yeah, 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 This is not a vintage, um, <laughs> but, but this is, this, it's such a convenient style of recording that we're in. I'm not going to say it's anything other than, cause it's still real and organic digital recording is if anything, it's just better to enhance. Right. You still got to have a really good product. So I've, I've only known that I've like do a hundred takes of the guitars or get the, make sure you get the best. Make it perfect. Yeah. You got to get it like, like take your time and get it right. Practice a lot before you go and record. Mm -hmm. With analog, you don't even like, here was the biggest problem was not only like the performance had to be great, but it also like sometimes the equipment wouldn't run the same time like the equipment has to also work perfectly. So when we printed mixes, it was like, it was so old school. You know, I, I read Bruce Springsteen's book and it was, he talked about the same thing of like all hands are on the control. Like you, you, you got to automate it yourself it's, kind of thing. You're, you're recording it live. And it's like, it will not be, if, if you don't like that printed mix, you will not, there's not a carbon copy that exists. It's not like, it's not like a digital session where you can just open back up 
and, gone. and it's gone. And we did use Pro Tools, but all the outboard gear was analog too. So it's like you run that risk of like, hey, this compressor is is like 45 years old. It's never going to, it's <laughs> never going to record. You can't fix it. <laughs> and so there's like, there, <laughs> you ask what it's like. It was like insane, like a head case sometimes because you're like, I can hear like little like crackling of the knobs when you're making adjustments while we're live. Mm-hmm. That it's but the take is there, and we didn't use click, so it's like a lit, literally at this point you're like we need to take the best. I remember looking at G Max the drummer and just telling him, "You've got to give me time, the whole track, even and we could take that part out, but it's like there's going to be times where the band breaks down, and I've got to have you there because I need I, you to have the click. I need to have something if I'm going to go back and redo a vocal." Uh, you know, and we ran devils into details. We didn't do that. So if you listen to the bridge, you'll hear my guitar go way out of time because I just was singing mm-hmm. by myself and trying to get you back. You had on, to come back into it, come back in, and we liked that take. But it was like that thing where, like, it was kind of either or. Like mm-hmm. we we can either take you know this take and like really attack it, but it was just a crazy process. I'm thankful that I've had that experience. I don't know if I'd do it again like that. Um, it would have to be the songs would have to be a little less like wishy-washy. I would have to like have straight up like reckless love. You can do on tape. That's right. a, that's a pretty straightforward song. Some of the other stuff was getting a little ethereal. And um, yeah, I, I, I hope you get a chance to do a record analog. I have always wanted to. Yeah. yeah it, I tried to kind of recreate that with an album I put out in 2017 by, even though I was doing everything digitally, I kind of took that same mentality of, if this take sucks, mm-hmm. I lose the whole thing. Yeah. Or I lose this half of it. Like, I don't want to go in and micro edit everything. So I was trying to like record. If, if I want the guitar solo to sound like this, yeah. I have to play it like that. Yeah. 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 And you can, I've, I've done it before and I'll probably do it again where you go in and you micro edit the solos down to the exact note that 100%. you want it to be. But it's cool getting to play it and practice it until you can do it right. Yeah. And then when you get that 1000 and first take, right. You're yeah. like, ah, I, I right. fucking did it. Yeah. I can actually play the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, I think that's the beauty of, of, of doing, having both, you know, having a little bit of both. Cause there are some songs that you've probably written that you're like, Hey, I want to spend more time on this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then there's sometimes you're like, I, I found this to be like, this is where I felt like Eric was so strong at is his ability to set the mics up and let, just kind of let, catch, he would call it catch lightning in the bottle. And that is a dangerous approach to recording if if you've kind of like, I already know what it wants to sound like, you know? Right. But when you're like, some of these are just old school rock and roll songs. You're like, I, I, at a certain point, it sounds dumb if you don't do an analog. Damn the Torpedoes, the uh, Tom Petty record, that was all analog. Oh, man. They yeah. recorded Refugee. I, I forget what the documentary said, but they recorded that song like hundreds of times just waiting for that lightning in a bottle yeah. moment where yeah. you're like, that is the take. Yeah, that, that's the, that's take. the one that goes on the record. Yeah. I, 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 like, I don't know how to approach a record just quite yet, like the perfect approach. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because, I mean, it, for me, it'd be somewhere in between. I'm sure that... A lot of people who are going to do this podcast listening have done somewhere in that. But I felt like the magic was cool when you listen back to a track where you had no idea where it was going to happen. You know that it, you yeah, know that yeah. you're like, oh, I but got more it importantly, that time. But more importantly, if it's all analog, you're kind of like, this is, this is it. Yeah. It's a lot on the line. Uh, I remember doing that with a song that I put out called Rock and Roll Degenerate. I yes, had that same yeah, kind of yeah. a mentality. It's like, I'm going to play this guitar solo until it's right. Mm-hmm. And now every time I go back and listen to it, I was like, I can't believe my fingers did that in one take. It sounds good, man. And yeah. It's, it's a testament to what truly good players can do. And I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my horn too much. I've did hundreds of takes of it, well, sure. but eventually yeah. you can catch lightning in a bottle like that, yeah. but it is fun getting to go back and realize that like, okay, I did it. Yeah. It happened. Well, <laughs> yeah, but also like, yeah, you, there's, there's something to be said for that. Like it doesn't matter how many takes you took Like you just went in there and you actually did it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, I, but I also feel like that, that song benefited a lot from it. Like having mm-hmm. a very strong guitar solo, I felt like that song needed that. And yeah. that, that's where I'm getting at. It's like putting a record out. You're like, we're about to put this thing out. And it has so many vulnerabilities. But on the flip side, it's got a lot of stuff I would never have been able to do 
in a truly digital, like hunter take kind of right. world because there's all this vulnerability, a lot of true magic happened. But then as the funnel kind of comes down, you do have an element of like right. some of these tracks, like, yeah, that admittedly, like if we had a hundred takes to, for it, we probably would have cleaned some of that up. But tape gets expensive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was just, it, we, the way the process too was just like, you know, I, I, I remember talking to some of the guys who were recording with me and asking them how they did their records. And some of these guys have had some, like, they've got trophies on the wall. Like, they got some real records that have moved the meter. And they've had pretty much, even though it's all analog, because a lot of them are cool, you know, like, these are cool musicians. They only cut analog, you know. <laughs> um, you know, they don't do that logic stuff. Um, a lot of, the, But a lot of these guys had massive budgets for mm. those records. So if you're with a big band, you can sit there for a month and record. Well, I mean, we, um, you know, on this this independent Oye project, it's like, we're counting days. Like, let's go. You You're know? like, man, we can only do so many takes of each song well, I, before the like budget's that. We gone. We recorded Devils and Details and Reckless Love in one day. And Did it's you like, really? Yeah, and it's wow. like, and it, well, and for, we still had plenty of time, but the actual process was quick. Like it, like any studio or live show, mm-hmm. like you, you lose a lot of time setting up and checking, right? Yep. Eric owns his own studio, so it's like he had a, we had a little bit of home field advantage where a lot of the mics have already been. He already knew the room. Knew you the just intro. set up amp behind it. Set up and we kind of vibe. But catching that with a studio band, I've actually never done a studio band before. So you're that was your weird. Whole, you're bringing in your band. I usually bring my band. And so I, I, I'm like a dictator in there when it's my band. <laughs> like I'm like, that's not the fucking drum beat. <laughs> um, but, but there is that element with a studio band I, I can tell them I don't like something, but a, but a lot of it is like they're going to play what they're going to play. It's what you're paying them for. Right. And so there's a little bit of catching the vibe. Like you start the song off, you're like, ah, there's something off. Like, let's, you know, that took a lot of time, but we got, you know, by the time we got done with that day, it was like we covered a lot of ground. The first two singles were cut the first day. Mm-hmm. And, but there wasn't a lot of time for overdub. There was almost no time for overdub. Wow. I think on the back end, we had a day where we just went, went like, Told Robbie to go on every song and just play piano. Just go, 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 go. go. <laughs> One but song that, at a time. Yeah, you got yeah, two yeah, takes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that was cool. I mean, that was like my. That's the first like record I'll, I'll have ever put on. Hopefully, I put out another one. But at this point, it's like that was like a quintessential like Nashville studio band, you know? Right. And the rumors are true, man. Like I know a lot of quote unquote studio players, but I, I've I've met very few like true pedigree players. Like these guys are actually cutting records that. Are, are really moving the that meter. are made for the radio not not you make a living recording like these guys are are, are playing or not all of them but some of these guys were, were playing on some really big records so i got to live and learn with them a little bit mm-hmm. um and so it was a scary process for sure because you just got to trust the. <laughs> i mean you've known me for a long time like i i i totally play my songs till they're beaten dead mm-hmm. so the idea of cutting a song live in a studio with players that have never heard my ideas or anything like that is, is for me unsettling. That's cool. Uh, but I, I, I got, we got done with it. We're, you're going to hear it and we'll put it out soon. And, and I think some of it you'll love. I think you'll definitely listen to it and be like, I, I think I know what he was talking about. Hell you know? yeah. 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 Well, John, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yes, today. sir. Yes, sir. Uh, can you tell the listeners this week where they can find your stuff? This should be, uh, this should be coming out sometime in, in February this year. It. So I if the it. record's coming out sometime yeah. soon, if it's coming out in February, then, then, then very soon um you can find it's olier that's for those who who don't speak uh the francais yeah it's a, that's h-o-l-l-i-e-r so you can find um there's only one the there, yeah, the there's episode. only one olier out there putting music out so instagram <laughs> at olier music or, or spotify apple olier music um h-o-l-l-i-e-r you'll see that record self-titled record coming out soon. where can we find tour dates on the web oliermusic.com oliermusic.com uh you'll find us we we're we're not touring you know january february will be pretty slow but uh spring summer will be pretty robust so you guys should find uh, anything you want should be on that website and there's a hot chance you'll be able to find him at just a regular tour stop show too oh yeah (laughs) coming up on a few of them coming up i i I see the future for the two of us y'all thank you so much for listening this week please follow nashville tour stop on our socials at nashville tour stop spotify we've got our friends playlist featuring the performers music uh just about everybody who's played the show has got a song on there it's 
a long, long yeah. playlist. Uh, but check out our Patreon if you'd like to subscribe to that. Please feel free to contribute and help us keep making cool stuff for you. More importantly, though, check us out on the web at NashvilleTourStop.com. We've got live shows all the time. We've got a couple of new uh, venues we're going to be putting shows on. The local here in Nashville over by Centennial Park. We're going to be starting there once a month. One more <laughs> shout out to the 8th Room here in Nashville yeah, for nice. letting us broadcast live here now. Uh, we just moved out of our podcast studio. So if you think it sounds different, it does. Because we're in the uh, the private uh, Versace-lined room here in the eighth room uh if you want to go to hardy or kelsey ballerini's instagram you'll see photos of them sitting where we are right now which is pretty cool so if you want to go to the eighth room you can check out their website uh they've got an application for membership it is pretty exclusive here but if you want to come hang out with uh as they say rock stars live here if you want to do that you can come hang with us but until the next time please do remember that all roads lead right back here to the nashville tour stop yeah.